Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you. I mean, he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church. And we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Could there be a better way for us to intro and to talk about uh, leaving a gospel legacy, building a gospel legacy than to celebrate our uh, seniors graduating and our fifth graders Moving into sixth grade, into big church after the summer. Let's give it up for them. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was in youth group, we always called Sunday, like Sunday service, big church, Isaac. Um, and uh, it's, it's just cool. We praise God for them and the mission that God has, has for them and mine. And so we're so thankful to celebrate them this morning in that. You know, I think if you were to ask most churches in America, especially ones in the South in particular, hey, what's the mission of your church? A lot of them would answer in some form of, well, we want to transform the world for Jesus. We exist to bring glory to God. We want to help people who are far from God move closer to God, and, and, and all of it would kind of boil down into a similar type of answer. They would say, we want to make a big deal about Jesus, and we want to make disciples, which is a, it's a really good answer, uh, by the way, if that's the answer. And, and, and so it's really a mission that helps us answer the why, why we even do what we do, why we even exist in the first place. That's mission. But on the flip side, if you were to follow up your question to that pastor or that church and you asked them and you said, hey, that's great. That's an incredible mission. And, and so can you tell me now how your church is actually set up to make that mission happen? Likely and unfortunately, you would get a lot of blank stares and a lot of blank answers. And I know this because I've been in those places, and I know this because I've wrestled with these same kind of a great commission questions. And, and, and so vision, it's a little bit different than mission, and people get them uh, mixed up sometimes that vision is how you're actually going to execute the mission that's in front of you. Vision is how you expect to accomplish your why. And for us here at REST, uh, there's, there's three stages and there's a lot of side roads and a lot of caveats. And, and we try to really like uh, jump on to the, t the coattail of the Holy Spirit as he goes by us a lot. Uh, but if you don't know, you're going to know after in just a moment. These are, this is kind of the mission of REST Church. We exist to restore Jesus in the home, as the church, and with the city. That's, that's our 
mission, in case you've ever wondered that. And, and for us, this as the, as the church uh, stage, that's what's happening kind of this morning. This is what we consider the big love God stage. It's the biggest entry point for the church. It's the largest group, usually typically. Um, it's where most of you probably uh, first uh, met us or, or first shook hands with us, was here uh, in our Sunday morning worship experience. Then um, after Sunday morning, there's the in the home piece. And, and so this group falls into the kind of love others stage. It's really about personal relationships. The, uh, in the home stage, it can be D groups or, or rest groups, sometimes a class or even an event. But it's really about you connecting with the people who are next to you. And then the last part for us, the with the city stage really is that that's the love the God or love the world stage. That's the love the world phase. And so with this, it, it can be a lot of different things here at Rest Church. It could be uh, you serving uh, with kids' missions. It could be you volunteering for a meal train. Uh, it could be lofty coffee that happens in the back. It could be Zambia missionaries or going to Ecuador. There's a lot of places for you to, to, to plug in here at Rest. This is uh, the vision, how we com- accomplish this mission. And our hope for you isn't that you would just be successful in one of these areas, but in all three areas of your life, you would continue be growing, where you're loving God, where you're loving one another, and where you are loving the world. And, 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 I, and I, love this, uh, I love this kind of conversation, you know, about mission, about vision, but I don't know if you're like me or not. I, I think about these kind of things and go, well, how do, you, how do you actually measure this, though? Like, how do you know if you're actually being successful or effective in accomplishing your, your vision, your, your mission that God is, has given to you is it is it by you know is it by the number of people that show up on Sunday morning, or 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 is it from the amount that comes in through the tithe boxes, or, or even is it the amount of people who raise their hand at the end of a service to be saved, or how many people we've baptized this past year? For us here at Rest, no. Those are all really really good things, really really good fruits of walking with God the Holy Spirit. But for us, one way that we measure the effectiveness of if we're carrying out our vision, our mission, it's one word, it's movement. It's movement. Because movement is all about the handoffs. See, this morning, if you came to church for the first time in a really long time, that was Holy Spirit movement in your life. If after service today you decide uh, you've been going to a, a D group and you want to lead a D group now, that's movement. If you look into our kids and see a gap that needs to be filled or, or the cafe team, you go, there's a gap here and I can fill this gap. That's some Holy Spirit movement in your life. And, and to me, that's really what a disciple-making legacy is really all about. It's, it's a combination of your daily, individual, step-by-step journey with Jesus. But it's not just about you because it's also about those around you and leaving a gospel legacy in our journey together. And so where we're going to move to together today is in the book of 2 Timothy, and it's this two-part challenge from the Apostle Paul, and he gives it to Timothy, and so by extension, we the church, it's also for us this morning, and, and it's this, how do we build a gospel legacy? And here's the vision. Number one, we preserve and live in the gospel, and we pass on the gospel. That's the main truth we're going to carry with us today, that we are to preserve and live in the gospel, and that we are to pass on the gospel. So if you have your Bible, flip with me. We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read just two verses this morning, verse 1 and verse 2. And I'll give you just a second to, 
to turn there. Second Timothy chapter two, one through two. Uh, do you love Jesus, Rest Church? Are you ready to study his word this morning? All, my D, all the D group people in here, you're super familiar with this verse. And so you, can, you should close your eyes and just quote it uh, from memory this morning. But it'll be up on the screen for you as well so you can read it. This is what it says. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. And trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We'll pray and we'll just have some conversation about these two verses. Uh, Jesus, we love you and we we thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for movement in our life. God, as, as you call us into deeper and deeper relationship with you, as we move closer and closer towards you. And so I thank you for those people that came this morning, God, for the first time, maybe in a long time, to a church. And I, and I know it can be really intimidating walking through those doors, and so I just, I thank you for that movement, Jesus. God, I thank you for the, those who are here, who've been here for a long time. And, and for, that they per- persevere, God, and for their faithfulness. And so, God, I thank you for their, their movement as they continue to, to, to grind it out and to follow you, Jesus. Lord, your word is meant, it's exactly what we need today. It's exactly what we need to be strengthened in this place, God. And so we just pray for grace, Lord Jesus. The grace that we could be the kind of people that you've called us to be, Lord. And so, Holy Spirit, we just pray for movement in this room as, as we read your word, and we pray that you would teach us and, and bring us along as we learn about this gospel legacy today. And we ask all these things in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you haven't, if you haven't been with us, haven't been hanging out with us for the past uh, few weeks, we've been in the book of 2 Timothy, and 2 Timothy is this letter, it's a follow-up letter that the, this pastor, Apostle Paul, writes to another younger pastor, his disciple, uh, Timothy. Timothy's at the church of Ephesus. And, and while Timothy's there, he's had, a lot of weird stuff is happening inside of the church that he's at. And so Paul's writing to encourage, to spur him on in the middle of that weirdness. And all the while, simultaneously, Paul is staring at a, a death sentence because he's going to die soon. He's in a Roman prison, and, and he's finishing his fight, and he's encouraging at the same time Timothy to finish his. And so um, as I say that, I want you to know that this isn't just a letter for pastors, though. Or, or there's not, you know, there's not ministry people and non-ministry people. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a ministry person, right? Amen. Because we believe here at Rest in the priesthood of the believer that we are a team, that we work together, that we need each other. Amen. Tell your neighbor, say, "Hey, I need you. I need you." And then, more specifically, this morning, man, if you're if you're going through something, some circumstance, some situation that's weird, that's tough that's pulling a lot out of you, then this letter today is especially geared for you. And so we're gonna start at verse one. This is what he said. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now this verse coming off of last week's message where uh, the Apostle Paul was previously addressing some other disciples. Uh, It was some who had stayed and and some who had walked away from him. But now what he does is he returns his attention back to Timothy. And and Timothy at this time, he's in his early 30s, right? He's my age. And, 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 And so Paul writes to him and he calls him my child, 
And it's not because he's a little kid, but because of the relationship and friendship that Paul and Timothy have had together over the years where Paul has mentored and invested in and discipled Timothy. And so he's been like this father in the faith of sorts to Timothy. And furthermore, this is part one of this two-part challenge for Timothy to guard this good gift, this divine deposit that's been handed over to him, which is the gospel. And see, if Timothy was going to effectively do this and, and, and lead toward the mission of God in this vision, then he had to first, number one, preserve and live in the gospel. That was step one for Timothy. He had to preserve the gospel and so for him to live in this, it was going to be a day-by-day, moment-by-moment surrender and dependence on Christ Jesus for him to endure. And it's like, man, that's great for Timothy, but how, how do we endure in, in a time like this? How do we endure from day to day? Well, the good news for you and for me is that we have the same source that Timothy had. And so we'll start at the end of that verse, in Christ Jesus. That's the source, the end of the verse, in Christ Jesus. I don't know, probably all of you, but have you seen those memory foam mattresses before? Of course you have. Everyone's seen a memory foam mattress, right? Maybe you remember those commercials uh, like I do early on when, when memory foam was, I don't know, getting big or maybe just was getting big for me. And, and there was this guy and he would like, he would pull a bottle of wine in, in a glass and he would set the glass on the, on the bed. And they wanted to show you about this memory foam because then he would start like doing the boot scooting boogie beside the, beside the wine, right? But it would never spill. Do you remember that? Those commercials, anybody? A few, okay, several of us, right? Well, me and my wife, we were changing our sheets the other day and I was thinking about this, uh, this thing with the memory foam mattress. And, and I noticed that as I put my hand down into the mattress, it did this really crazy thing where it left this impression of where my hand had been. And, and really, the only thing that could fully feel that impression was the hand that made it. And that's the best way that I think I can communicate what it means for us to be in Christ. That Christ has had his hand on us as he's created us, that he's left this impression of the gospel in our lives that can only be filled in him. That's what Paul is talking about here, this gift of the gospel and the source is Christ. And, and the great news for us is that it, that is sustainable for every single believer, no matter if you've just met Jesus or you've been walking with him for a very long time, because it's Christ who is the source of our grace. That's what it says next in the verse. It says, by the grace working backwards. It's coming through the source, Jesus Christ. And, and one of my favorite verses on, on grace is, is Titus uh, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Listen to this. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Man, I love, I just love this. I love the, the grace of, of, of God and, and the grace of God. It comes into a Christian's life really in a lot of ways, but probably the two most that you're, that you're most familiar with is the saving grace of God and the empowering grace of God. 
Both of those are given to us, to every believer. It's unmerited, it's unearned, it's undeserved, but God still gives it to us anyway. And this grace of God, I want you to see this, that when we talk about grace, it's so much more than just salvific. It's so much more than just part of of salvation uh, for us. And in, in fact, John Piper says this to grace. He says, grace, it isn't just leniency whenever we've sinned, but grace is also the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is a power, not just a pardon. Grace is God's power. It's his life. It's, it's that resurrection that lives inside of you if you follow Jesus and it's given to us freely. And the empowering grace of God, what it'll do if you'll allow it, is it will create movement in your life. Holy Spirit movement where you draw more and more closer and closer to Christ. And there are moments, I don't know about you, but for me, there are moments in my life where I just, I want to throw in the towel on me. I don't know, maybe you feel like that sometimes too. You know what? God never feels that way about you. Never feels that way about throwing in the towel on you. Because he knows no matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we fall back, he always has more and more grace. Amen. And it it transforms our lives. It fills in the gaps of our weaknesses. And if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, even from church history, you've got this long-nosed, short, bald, single-unibrowed kind of guy. And, and And he writes a lot in his letters about the empowering grace of God. Like, like these words in 2 Corinthians 12, he, he responds back to Paul and it says, but God says, but hey, Paul, my, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And it's like, as Paul's writing this, it's almost like I can, he knew. It's almost like he knew that every Christian leader, every Christian leader, um, that, that people would demand more from him, more of his time, more of his energy than he was ever going to be able to, to exceed or complete at his own capacity. And I don't know if you felt like that way before, like God's asked you to do something and, and you feel way in over, over your head with it. I have, I do. Whenever we first planted uh, Rest Church, like, like we're in this seven years now, Cody, so we can say this now, it's okay for them to know. Uh, when we first planted, like, we were way, way, way in over our heads. Way over our heads. For me, I, like, when I think about being, being the pastor that God wants me to be, I am way, way, way in over my head. To be the, the husband that God wants me to be to Laura, I'm way in over my head. To be the dad God wants me to be, I, I am way, way in over my head. I am uh, totally uh, at peace with my inadequacy. Of, of, of I, I cannot do this by myself on my own. I do not have enough strength to accomplish it in any way. And I'll take this a step for, further for us, church, together. Together, look, we... <laughs> We just aren't it. Like, the rumors are true. (laughs) We can't do it. We're not smart enough to have good community here. We're We're not savvy enough to plant another church. We are Rudy, okay? That's who we are. We're too small, our grades are too low, and we're half the size of everyone else on the squad. But yet... Yet, we are confident 
in our weakness, because we find ourselves in this unusual position of having this endless supply of God's amazing grace. Therefore, the text says, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, this means that there is, there's no mountain too tall for him to move. There is no storm that is too dark for him to calm or no sorrow too deep for him to soothe. And like here, if you don't know this, you'll know this now, but we are, we're crazy enough to believe that our God is big enough to actually do the things that he says that he can do through you and through me and that he can do immeasurably more. Church, I, I don't want us to be the kind of church that, that when God says go, where, where we just kind of, where we tiptoe uh, around the edge of our fears to get there. No, no, no. I want us to be the kind of church to be the kind of people where we run through these obstacles in our faith. And it's not because we're so strong, but it's because Jesus is. That's what Paul's saying that, that it's by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So be encouraged this morning. You, ain't, you don't have to be strong because we have a strong God. Amen. And, and Paul's talking about this source, this source um, that, that it's all coming from. And this is what he says that's going to help us to, to be strengthened. To be strengthened. I feel like that's the first thing you got to know if you're going to make it on this planet. Like, you, 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 you got to be strong, you know. Um, Bella, uh, Eli, like, if, you, if you're going to make it at college, you got to remember, you got to be strengthened in Christ. You got to be strong. And, and the reason you got to be strong is because you got to be able, strong enough to deal with your own sin. And, and then once you do that, you'll be strong. You got to be strong to deal with when others sin against you. To, to be strengthened. What Paul is not saying here in any way, shape, or form is he's not going, hey, Timothy, you need to pick yourself up, by, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, put your ears back and your head, head down, and just grind this thing out. That's not what he's saying at all. And none of those things really are, are, are any help of themselves. And in the book of John, when Jesus <clears throat> says this, chapter 5 of John, he says, I only do the things I see my father doing, I find this, I love this verse because it's not like at Jesus' baptism that, that, you know, all of a sudden God like downloaded three-year ministry plan to his Google calendar. That's not, that's not what happened. But instead, Jesus Christ had to retreat daily to get in connection with his father so that he could be strengthened for that day. It's why Micah chapter 6, it, it, it reads uh, verse 8 it reads, it doesn't read, and to talk humbly with your God. What's it say? Walk. To walk humbly with your God. Or even you can go back as early as the book of Genesis, chapter 3, and, and you see God walking in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve, and it's like it was part of, of Adam and Eve's regular daily routine just to be in the presence, just to get with God. And, and God does this because he desired company from those that he had made. God desires your company this morning. I, I think everybody in here probably has a cell phone, right? Most of you do. Imagine with me for a second if I was like, this is what I want you to do. This is a command, okay? I want, I'm commanding you to take out your cell phone. If you want to play along, you can. I command you to take out your cell phone. Now, you don't have to do this next part, but what if I was like, hey, and what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to charge that thing. I want you to go right now. I want you to charge it. I want you to charge your cell phone. What would you do in this moment? Like, if you really had to do it, right, you're going to be pushing everybody else out of the way to try to get to the power source, right, to plug in your device, 
right? You're going to be elbowing people in the mouth. It's going to get real ugly in here. We have to pray for you after service. But you would be trying to get to the wall to plug in your device, and it's the same exact way when it comes to our walk and our relationship with Jesus. It's the same command from Paul here to Timothy. This isn't a passive tense of be strong. No, this is be strengthened, so to continually be strengthened and connect to the power source of Jesus, the source of grace. And, and, and so maybe, man, maybe you find yourself like you walked into church today and you're like, I really feel like I'm running out of a, a spiritual battery. Can I just submit to you that it's not enough for you to charge up just one day during the week? That's why you feel like your battery's dying because you're not, you're not connecting with him daily. It's not how you're meant to live. And, and overall, you know, I was reading this charge from Paul and I found myself asking why. Like, why, why does Paul go through this link to, to tell Timothy about the gospel? Timothy's a pastor. Timothy knows the gospel. Why is Paul reminding you? Why is Paul reminding me about the gospel? Like, we know, we know the gospel. He does the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. He says to the brothers, I would remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. In neither of those verses from today's text or 1 Corinthians 15, neither one of these are evangelistic. They're written to Christians. They're written to the brothers, to the church. But why? Because I think it's so easy for you and I to, to move beyond the gospel to other things. And I think what Paul's calling back to us is that whether we, whether we succeed or whether we sin, we need to be reminded of the gospel. So that when we, when we, when we succeed, we don't, we don't puff up with pride, but we remember the gospel. That, that, it, that it's Christ who's, who's put us there. That it's his victory. And, and whenever we sin, uh, we don't want to default to despair, but we want to remember the gospel, that Christ has died for us and that we're no longer slaves to our sin. Amen? Paul's saying, look, I need, I need to remind you of this really important thing to preserve and live in the gospel. So we are reminded of the gospel. And if I'll be honest... I was tempted as I was working through this uh, sermon uh, yesterday and this morning at 9.50, uh, I, was, I was tempted to skim over this part about the gospel. Like, hey, the church, the church knows this. They know about this. And I was tempted to move beyond preserve and live in the gospel, but we need to be reminded, like, we can't move beyond the gospel. Piper, again, in Christianity, says this. He says, you never graduate to a course where the gospel isn't the center of the curriculum. This good news that, that Christ has come, that, that he has lived the perfect sinless life, that he has died the death that you and me deserve, that he, he rose up in victory from that death, that he left and then left us the Holy Spirit, and he's coming back again. Like, that's some really good news. That's some news that doesn't get... Old. And so we need the reminder, man, of this invisible companion inside of us, giving us the, the strength to follow God in a holy movement. And so this morning, if you find yourself facing some obstacles or, or you find yourself in a weird situation, can I just tell you, you are a prime, prime candidate for the grace of God, for it to be used by him. And so if we're going to guard this good gift like Timothy we must first preserve and live in the gospel. 
And what happens whenever you preserve, whenever you live in the gospel, and you overcome some obstacles and some circumstances in your life, what happens is you as a follower of Jesus, you get some wisdom. And and God brings about a godly wisdom from the things that you've gone through, the things that he's taught you along the way, the things that you've read in the scripture. And now all of a sudden, you're, you're in a position where you can share that godly wisdom with the people around you to pass on the gospel. And that's the next phase of this gospel legacy today, to pass on the gospel. Verse two, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And as we look at this verse, there's going to be Four parts that we're going to look at. A four-part gospel handoff. And so we'll start with number one. Number one, first, this word was planted in Paul. Right? We, we recall this from chapter one early on, around verses 11 and 12, and even before that. But it was Christ, Jesus, who gave this message to Paul. Paul didn't nominate himself. <coughs> Excuse me. He didn't make this message up. <clears throat> but it was entrusted to him through divine revelation. And this is what he says. This message, what you've heard from me, remember those things that I said and those life lessons that I poured into your life, Timothy. He's saying, remember these things, which is the pattern, chapter one, verse 13, for you, for me to follow. And what was heard from Timothy and others was from the Apostles Paul's mouth and from his life as he he was unfolding the mysteries of of God's grace and explaining what was going on. And people were catching that about what Jesus came to do and what we are supposed to do in light of that. And and, and when we hear that, a lot of us, we, we, we go, okay, well, that means I've got a job to do, which is true. But, but it, it's, it's, it's not just a task for you to accomplish as much as it is a, a position of empowering grace to live out of. And, and so this is why I think sociologists and even education experts agree, and I think they play off of the Apostle Paul here in 2 Timothy, to say that our learning really does happen best whenever there's this interplay of what you've heard from me, of, of information and immersion, that's how we learn best when we have both, when, when we have information and immersion. And, and here's what I need, mean. We need, we need information because we need the cold, hard facts because the cold, hard facts actually mean something. And, and I'm an information junkie, confessedly, okay? But we need information so we can practically know what, what, what it means, how, how we're to live this out and, and follow Jesus well. But if all you have is information, you're missing out because a follower of Jesus also has immersion. We, we need to apprentice ourselves to someone else who is more mature than us in the faith so that we can learn from watching and doing life with them. And I'm telling you, when these two things collide, information and immersion, it, it's going to put your information into practice in a way that actually produces something. And so look, I can sit up here, I could go, hey, you should read your Bible 
and, 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 and you should pray, and you should tithe, and you should serve. And I can sit up here and say all of those things to you, but what you need is someone in your life showing you how and why. You don't just need the information about it. You need immersion into it. See, Jesus, he didn't just get up in front of his disciples and teach them and offer them fellowship, but he gave them a purpose and a person to live for from his own life. Church, I don't want you to just know about God. But I, but I want you to have the same kind of uh, guttural cry that the Apostle Paul had in Philippians 3 when he said this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What you've heard in the scriptures isn't just a, a truth, a fact for you to be known, but it's meant to be worked out in your life. It's not just about what you know, but it's supposed to be worked on and worked out in, in, inside of you. And so I'll ask you this morning, do you need more, do you need more information or, or do you need more immersion in your life? Because if I were to guess, I would say a lot of us are probably educated beyond our obedience when it comes to the scriptures. The second handoff here was that, that, that it was not just handed to and planted in a singular person, but this gospel message, it was handed to many witnesses. Tim, uh, Paul says to Timothy, it happened in the presence of many witnesses. This gospel, it was the message that the apostle Paul taught. And, and he went to a lot of different public areas and a lot of different places when, when he taught. And so a lot of people would hear him as he would teach, uh, even, even on the hillsides or in the, in the synagogues. And as he taught in, in, these, in these places, this was a public message for him. Some of the Gnostics behind the scene, they were, they were going, this is some secret that they're sharing. No, no, and Paul blows that up because he was teaching these things publicly. It was an unrestricted broadcast that showed up in the presence of many witnesses. And the reason this, this is important, church, is because what, what followers of Jesus could do is they could stack what Paul was saying and what Timothy was teaching against the rest of, of the prophets of Moses. And they could stack it against the apostles' teaching and against Jesus himself. And they were saying, look, everything they're saying is on the same page. It's in the same chain, link to link to link. There's this... Uh, Older comedian, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, do you know, does anybody know Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah, yeah he has this, uh, this productivity method. And one of them in, in this productivity method, he calls it, don't break the chain. Tell your neighbor really quick, just say, hey, don't break the chain. Don't break the chain. And what would happen is that for Jerry, uh, every, every day early on in this podcast, I heard this, every day early on in his career, he would sit down intentionally to write a joke. And so every single day, he would sit down at the beginning of his day, and he would write a joke out. And as he did this, he would take out a big red marker and put an X on his calendar for that day as he wrote a, a, a joke. And after a while, he had this just string of, of X's that were sitting in, in front of him. And he said, after some time, when you look up and you see this string of 50, 60, 100 X's sitting in front of you for so many days in a row, he said, there's a lot of pressure on you to not break the chain. And so similarly this morning, church, I think that you and I should feel a, a, a good amount of good, godly gospel pressure to not break the chain, to not break from the faithful witnesses who have come before you. 
They say a generation is about 25 years. There have been 80 generations before you that have continually passed on this message. And I want to spur you this morning to not break the chain. You are part of that unique Hebrews 12.1 cloud of witnesses, even though we're still on this planet. And so you are in that lineage of witnesses. And speaking of witness, you know, witness testifies to something, you know something they've seen. And I just wonder this morning if, if, if I were to ask the witnesses in your life, would they say that, yeah, hey, they're, they're, this person is preserving the gospel and they are passing it on? What would the witness say of your life this morning? And the third segment of this gospel movement, okay, so it's been planted in a singular person. Then it's been handed to many witnesses. And number three, it's also committed, it's been committed to the faithful. Paul said this, entrust this to faithful men. Faithfully guard the gospel by generously giving it away. It's committed to the faithful. It wasn't enough for Timothy to hear the gospel and to receive the gospel but he was now to, to continually make this deposit to not break the chain in the people around him in his life. And, and look at that verse again with me. When, when it says men here, and trust the faithful men, don't get hung up, uh, ladies. The word is for mankind, so it's for both men and for women. But to entrust is to commit something. And I find it very interesting that the same word, the same language used here is the same language that Jesus Christ used on the cross in Luke chapter 23, uh, when in victory he cried out this, Father, into your hands I commit, I entrust my spirit. And so just as Jesus knew that his life was safe in the Father's hands, so Timothy was also to commit to entrust this gospel into faithful men which is no different than what happens at a wedding day. Whenever you're at a wedding and, 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 and the father walks, you know, his daughter down the aisle and it gets to the point where the pastor goes, okay, who gives this woman away? And, and the father of the bride says, I do, right? And then he looks at his soon-to-be son-in-law, you know, and just gives him a little gristly look in his eye. And he says, hey, I'm entrusting my daughter to you. I'm giving her to you. It's no different than with the gospel. The gospel in the same way is a precious, precious treasure. And so it's not to, to be just handed off to, to anyone flippantly, but it's to be committed to those who are faithful. And when you think about that, like that it sounds kind of harsh, you know, but, but I see this from time to time from, from other pastors, from, from other men, other women, and they'll come up to you and they'll be like, Hey, Pastor Cody, I really would like you to invest in my life. And then Pastor Cody's like, okay, let's do this thing. And, and as he starts pouring his life into someone else's life, what, what typically happens sometimes is that um, they end up getting so busy with other priorities that it never really happens. And so that's not faithfulness. And so it's not meant for everyone but those who are faithful. And, and Calvin says on this even, he says, even the most gifted can get lazy if they're not aroused to a dependence and obedience on God. So in theory, this gift is for every believer, but in reality, it's for those who are faithful, for those who can be trusted with this treasure. That's the first qualification in this gospel handoff, that you must be faithful to live in the gospel and also to pass it on. 
And like you can almost feel Paul here thinking back to those people that walked away from him in Asia. Those phygelises, those hermogenises. Yet there were apparently a few men still left in Timothy's camp, in Timothy's sphere of influence. And Paul calls Timothy to intentionally invest in them. But how do we do this? How, like, how do we effectively, practically find those who are faithful? Who should you invite to your gospel party? Because it ain't everyone. This thing a little bit, maybe. Who should you invite? Who should you invest in? And I'm going to show you in just a second from Jesus' model. But a good place for you to start, I think, is to ask the question, who has God already placed around me in my life? Who's God already got me around? Because it's no mistake that you work where you work. It's no mistake that you play where you play. It's no mistake that you have the friends that you have. Have have you considered the opportunity maybe that's already sitting in front of you with the people currently in your life? Not that you have to go and seek out some new people that you don't know, but who has God already put around you to pass on this gospel deposit to? See, for Jesus, in this time period of of less really than than three years, he was able to pass on the gospel, and he discipled a few dudes that most people, when they looked at him or looked at them, they looked the other way. They passed him over. Jesus doesn't do this, and he invests in 12, and and then even furthermore into the three with Peter, James, and John, and that turns into the 120, that turns into the the 3,000, and it totally changes the course of human history from Jesus's investment. And so how did Jesus do this without having them just like taking off and running for the hills? Well, I think Jesus, when it came to passing on the gospel, discipling people, I think he was a master horse whisperer. And he had just the right amount, just the right amount, the perfect balance of both invitation and challenge. And I think to to be a, a good discipler, I think you really need both of those, and I want to show you this really, really quickly, what I'm, what I'm talking about when it comes to invitation and, and challenge. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses around 17 and 18, Peter, he gets this revelation um, from God that Jesus actually is the Son of God. And so as, as he's doing that, you can pull that verse up. As he's doing this, Jesus uh, is affirming Peter, and he's inviting him to, to draw closer. The text up there if you want to, if you want to look at that. But Jesus, he, he takes us even a step further here, and he gives Peter this nickname, and he calls him the rock. It's actually the little rock when you translate it from the Greek, but he, he looks at Peter, he's like, hey, you're blessed, you get it, Peter. And, and, and he goes even further later on, and he tells Peter that he's going to give him the keys of the kingdom, and he's going to have the authority of Jesus. It's like this really big moment for, for Peter where Jesus is inviting him into to his life. That's the invitation but what happens just a few verses later, Peter, he takes Jesus aside, and Peter's like, Jesus, I really think you should stop talking about this dying in Jerusalem thing. I don't think it's going to go well for you. And so then Jesus kind of flips switches and says this in verse 23. Same Peter, same rock. Get behind me, Satan. Uh, you're a hindrance for me. Your, your mind's not set on the things of God, but it's set on the, the things of man. And so if like, I'm Peter, I'm confused, right? Because like a minute ago, I was the little rock. You're the big rock. And now I'm Satan. Like, <laughs> Jesus, what are, what, are you, what are you talking about? You know, Jesus, he drew his disciples closer to him. And he loved them by invitation. But also, don't miss this. He also gave them the opportunity to accept the responsibilities that come with discipleship, and then he challenged their faithfulness and commitment. 
And you read about this in just the next verses, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus, as he's passing on the gospel to his disciples, he never asked them to do something he was unwilling to do or wasn't already doing. He modeled in his life for them to follow. And so what he was doing is he, is he was going, okay, I'm going to do, and, and you're going to watch. And then I'm going to do, and then you're going to help. And then you're going to do, and I'm going to help. And then you're going to do, and I'm going to watch. That's what Jesus did in, in, in his modeling, his discipleship. And so, I, church, I'll ask you in this. Uh, this morning, are you more prone to invitation to people in your life? Or are you more prone to challenge? Which, which, uh, which is the Holy Spirit asking you to work on just in, in talking with people? And then lastly, the final phase on this, for us to preserve and pass on the gospel. I'm sweating up here, my mic's falling down, and so it's good stuff, church. The secondary qualification to faithfulness for someone who's going to pass on the gospel is that they are able to teach it to others also. That they are trust, we trusted those who would teach others also, and it's crazy for me to think about this, that, that Paul's message, it goes from this hole in the ground in this Roman prison, and it shows up to us some 2,000 years later in Paducah, Kentucky, sitting right here this morning. How did this happen? It was entrusted to some faithful men who were able to teach others also. That's how it happened. And, and this able to teach piece is key. It's one of the qualifications to be an elder, a pastor here at rest. It's, uh, and, and I've never been asked that question at any other church I've worked at, by the way. No one's ever said, hey, Adam, how, how are you going to invest and train up the other leaders around you? How are you going to invest in them? No one's ever asked me that. But it's a qualification here to be a pastor or elder at rest. Because what, for you, most of the time what you see is this. You see Cody Johan, myself, John, whoever, up here preaching. Isaac, you see us preaching. This is, this is the component you see. What, maybe you've even been to a class that we've led at some point. But what you probably haven't seen for the most of you is you haven't seen our one-on-ones with people. You haven't seen our one-on-threes with people that happens all the time. And that really is where the church grows at, in those individual relationships. And you do degroup people. You're going to be super familiar with this. And Greg Ogden, in his book, it's called Discipleship Essentials, um, he shows this graph and it illustrates the difference between uh, an evangelist who shares the gospel with one person every single day, the process of addition, versus a, a, a discipler who invests in a group of people and then cyclically repeats and reproduces that. And what's crazy about this list, can you pull it up on the, come up on the big screen? Is that computer dead still? Okay. So get out your binoculars real quick. Um, what's crazy about this list is like when you look at it, it I'll just read a couple in case you can't see in the way back, Josh. Uh, year one, the evangelist uh, hits about 365 people, right? If it's not leap year. Uh, the discipler would hit two people just in the first year. But then the, the person who's leading a D group, so this would be someone who's entrusting the faithful message to those who are able to teach others also, uh, hits three people. Year two for the evangelist is 7.30, the disciples four, the D group is nine, and so on and so forth. I'm going to jump down. What's crazy about this is that the, the script flips 
really for uh, the D group of four around year seven or year eight. Year eight is this. The evangelists would hit 2,920 people. The discipler would hit uh, 256, while the D group of four would hit 6,561. To jump all the way down, in year 16, 16 years of doing this over and over and over again, the evangelist, if you would if just share the gospel with one person each day, and it was a process of addition, you would hit almost 6,000 people, which is an amazing, amazing task. Amazing accomplishment. But for the discipler, they would hit 65,000 plus. And for those that would invest in a D group of four, over 43 million. That's the difference between addition and multiplication when it comes to discipleship. That it's a process that you invest and produce and reproduce and reproduce. And so the goal of, the discipleship, of discipleship is that those who are in your group are training to become leaders themselves and then make another group that makes another group and makes another group. In the great commission of Jesus, when he says, go and make disciples, it's that we would make disciples that then learn, get trained and trusted, are able to teach others, and then they make more disciples that make more disciples that make more disciples. That's the process of multiplication. And so on this graph, after only 30 years, church, if we were really serious as the global church about this, only after 30 years, every person on the planet would be reached multiple times over. Multiple times. And so every Christian leader, we need to be on the lookout for some faithful believers around us to do a handoff to. Because it is the only number that Jesus is counting. The only number that Jesus is counting is that. He's not counting our attendance. He's not counting our tithe box. He's not measuring how big our building is. It's how many disciples are we making? That's going to be the question, I think, when we get to heaven. So how'd you do at the go and make disciples thing? And so every believer, you need this in your life. This is the last thing. You need to where you are being a Barnabas, pursuing a Paul, and training a Timothy, this is men investing in men. This is women investing in, in women. And so the Barnabas part of this, this is the, having a Barnabas in your life. But this is someone um, who is a faithful friend to you. This is someone that, that can hold you accountable in your life, in your faith, in your, in your speech. It's the relationship that Paul had with Barnabas in the book of Acts. It's a spiritual friendship. But then also beyond Barnabas, you need to be pursuing a Paul. Someone in, in your life, a person that mentors and leads and directs you. This is someone who's traveled down the road of faith farther than you have so that you can profit from them and the godly wisdom that God has given and invested in them. And usually, typically, a Paul is someone who is older in the faith than you. Not just older than you, but older in the faith than you. And I'll say this too, I'll just add this little tag on there, this is for free. Uh, when you're pursuing a Paul, be aware, beware of, of someone who, 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 who says that they've been a Christian for 30 years, but they have no maturation, they have no growth, they have no Holy Spirit movement in their life because the reality is that, that they've been a Christian for one year, 30 years in a row. So look for movement and the Paul that you're pursuing. And then lastly, last thing, uh, Timothy. That's that group of one to three uh, people that you are in investing your life into, your faith into. And so when we're looking for Timothys, it's in, it's in this book that we follow. But you're going to look for fat people. Fat people, faithful, available, and teachable. 
You want those who you're investing in, you need them to be faithful, to receive the, the, the word, to, to be able to have that information, but also put it into application. You want them to be available because you can't teach someone if they're not there. So you, you can't get, ever get to that immersion point with them. And you want them to be teachable. They have to be humble enough to receive both that invitation and that challenge in their life when it comes to following God. And so this is a practice that, 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 that lasts a lifetime. It's produced and reproduced over and over and over and over again. It's for you to leave a gospel legacy. It is to preserve the gospel and to live in the gospel.